Welcome back to the Samuel Proctor Oral History Program's Race and Remembrance podcast series. This is Jessica Alvarez, usually the behind-the-scenes producer, but I'll be taking over as your host for this week. In this episode, we will be discussing the history of professional discrimination at the University of Florida, focusing on the perspectives of Black faculty and staff in particular. Just as a reminder, the transcript of this episode will be available in the show notes, along with other relevant links to the SPOP website, the JBA collection, and further learning resources. Before delving into the lived experiences of Black faculty and staff at UF, we wanted to provide some historical context and relevant statistics. As discussed in prior episodes, the University of Florida's past is steeped in racism, from the very founding of the institution to more recent manifestations that continue to this day. The harmful impacts of this legacy remain visible on campus today, not only in buildings' names, but also in the lack of representation and equal treatment for the Black community. This is particularly true with respect to Black faculty, who as of February 2021 made up less than 4% of the total faculty and only 3% of UF's tenured professors. While UF has made some progress in terms of hiring Black faculty members and other racial and ethnic minorities, there is still much work to be done. The apparent growth in diversity is also skewed by the fact that until 1970, there was not a single Black tenured professor at the university. In 1968, the UF administration under President Wrights voted to deny Dr. Marshall Jones' tenure based on his involvement with the civil rights movement. Dr. Jones, a lecturer in the College of Medicine who was expected to become UF's first Black professor, describes how he was denied tenure due to discrimination rather than on an academic basis. In some ways, the most remarkable thing about those proceedings was that the university was censured for the denial of tenure. In the history of the AUP, there may be one or two other schools that were censured for denial of tenure, but not more than that. Almost always, it's for the breach of tenure, when they fire somebody who has tenure. In my case, this, the, the case was so open and shut that the AUP ended up censoring the university, even though it was a denial of tenure and not a breach. The reason for that was as the College of Medicine Promotion and Tenure Committee, which consists of all the chairs of the academic departments in the College of Medicine, voted unanimously in favor of tenure, which shut off the, uh, a challenge to my academic credentials. Was no case. After denying Dr. Jones' tenure, UF failed to make any effort to integrate its faculty until ordered to do so by the U.S. Supreme Court. It wasn't until the 1970-1971 academic year, with the arrival of Dr. Carlton Davis, Dr. Ronald Foreman, and Mr. Elwin Adams, that the university gained its first three Black faculty members. Here you will hear from Dr. Carlton Davis on his experience as one of the first Black professors entering this environment. When I came for an interview in 1970 to interview here, there were no black professors on the staff of the University of Florida up to that time. And they were on the court order to integrate the faculty and essentially um, to make a significant progress in terms of recruiting black minorities. When I arrived at the University of Florida, I found out that simultaneously with me, there were two other professors who were hired at the same time. So there were three of us, Dr. Ronald Foreman and Mr. Elwin Adams. 
I came here at the same time we found that there, I found out that there were two more black faculty members on tenure track position. And the only other person was um, Roy Mitchell, who was in the staff position in Taggart Hall. And that was that's in maybe 200 maximum through the whole university, 300 mm. black students. So that's how I came to University of Florida, September 1970. Strange environment and not accustomed to seeing black faculty members, accustomed to seeing a large contingent of janitorial staff members because they're cleaning the place. And um, they had um, a few um, lower level staff people, but um, that was that. So that was the environment, and, and, and you, would, you would get um, comments from um, colleagues, um, some within the department and, um, and across the board, you know, essentially that, uh, so what, what are you doing here? You know, you're not supposed to be here. So that was the kind of uh, environment, a uh, 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 court order, mandated, mm-hmm. um, affirmative action thing, integration thing. Um, very small cadre of students, 200, 300, very few black professors. When I said when I came down the three of us. And this resulted in a, in a situation that um, could be very, very negative for black professors caught up in that kind of situation. While the university has gained more faculty members since the 70s, there is still a noticeable lack of representation for black professors among the broader UF faculty population. This reflects not only the prevalence of discrimination, but also a negative message regarding black intellect and belonging within the campus culture. In this clip, Dr. John Johnson explains the harmful impact of such unequal representation in the university. And at University of Florida's campus in particular, and I I talk about this even now in other spaces, is that if you're a black student or really any student on that campus, you can walk across the campus on any given day and you will see 10 to 20 black custodians, but you might, might never see a black faculty member. And that's a problem. So they weren't really receiving a narrative around black intellectualism. And in fact, they were receiving a message that intellectualism or intelligence resides in particular types of bodies. The disproportionate number of black faculty at UF can be traced back to two main issues. Individuals face discrimination as part of the job hiring process, as well as within the place of employment if hired. In this interview, Dr. James Esegbe discusses the role of discrimination within the hiring process. We want to see how people will get represented, right? The variety, variation we have in the society will be mirrored here, right? We don't have that yet, right? And most of the time, it is mainly it is because of our preconceptions, right? Uh, preconceptions that are always, uh, not always, but most of the time, negative. We we tend to pass judgments on on some people, and we drop some people from employment pool right from the start, right? Then not because they are not qualified, but because we have some uh, uh, preconceptions. Similarly, Dr. Betty Stewart Dowdell expresses her sense of the discrimination that Black faculty and staff face from colleagues and supervisors once at UF. There's racism there, there's prejudice there. Um, white, white faculty and staff can say anything you want to say to you and you have to sit there and take it. You know, it was more or less like, you know, in order to get through, you had to 
not be Uncle Tom, but you had to more or less bite your lip and you, you know, just be glad to be there kind of thing instead of being able to, to express yourself. Of course, professional discrimination does not affect just faculty members. These issues impact minorities employed across the board in various fields. At UF in particular, custodial staff and other workers have historically faced discrimination at the hands of both the institution and individuals in their place of employment. In this clip, Ms. Gwendolyn Williams discusses one of the many forms of institutionalized discrimination, focusing on the issue of pay inequality. No matter how hard you work or what position you're in, you're still not going to make as much as they make. And that's, that, I have to, that makes me feel bad some that. No, if they put a black person in a position and that black person has years of experience of what she or he does in a position with white only, you have to work 10 times as hard as what they, they work. And I experienced that on my job. No matter how hard you work, you're going to have to do it better and much faster and better than them. Than and you're not going to make, no matter what you, how hard you work, you're not going to make as much money as they make. They just won't. It's still some hidden racism today. And it's, even though that discrimination is a law, it's still discrimination. It, it really is. It, 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 I, I deal with it every day, and I have been dealing with it ever since I've been here. Discrimination can also manifest in the mistreatment of staff by individuals, especially when accepted as normal within company culture. This is true for UF, where people employed in food preparation, facility maintenance, and other quote-unquote lower-level jobs face blatant disrespect and racism from all sides. In this clip, Mr. Joseph McCloud describes an incident from his time at UF when white students completely disregarded basic human decency and the dignity of janitorial staff, mostly black and other minority employees. One incident that happened that i never forget, some guys over in North Hall decided to go in the bathroom and throw feces at each other. And uh, one, this one black janitor that I made friends with, he was a, a, a pastor. And so he came and told me, you know, what had happened. And he, he said, um, he told me what happened. And he said, well, they expect us to clean that up. I said, Rev, you're not going to do that. So we went over to North Hall, checked out the bathroom, and it was atrocious. This sort of disrespect did not come from just the students at UF, however. White faculty and staff members contribute to the discrimination that black professionals face at the university as well. In fact, the most blatant racism often came from the administration and other high-ranking officials. For this reason, Ms. Sylvia Harris explained in an interview, the dean's office was given the unofficial nickname of the White House by black employees who faced exclusion from the building. In this clip, Ms. Sylvia Harris discusses the racially-based discrimination that she has experienced in her 20 years working for UF since 1994. The floor that I worked on, it was in the White House. I was the only person working, which means when I go in there, they're going to just up a company. They gonna, when the big shots come around, they're going to see me working, walking around in there working. Mm-hmm. And I'm in, the big, I'm in the White House. So this particular dean, she found all kind of faults wrong with me, all kind of faults. I ain't cleaning this, I'm doing this right, I'm not doing that right. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this right. So I came to work, and I worked in the, in the two deans. I didn't hear that, too. this particular dean came. But I knew they didn't want me, but I knew they didn't want me because I was the black person and walking around in the, walking around in the office and 
You can see the prejudice. You knew they was prejudiced. You already know they prejudiced. So sometimes they wouldn't speak. Wouldn't say nothing to you. But work was okay till I, it was good. I did my job. I did what I had to do. But they, oh, she was always complaining to say I wasn't doing my right, job. Right, you said they wouldn't even speak to you? No. Finally, we want to leave you with this quote from Dr. Mildred Hill Lubin on the importance of intersectionality within the struggle for equality. Factors such as race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, disability, and religion can contribute to the discrimination that marginalized individuals face. As Dr. Hill Lubin explains, these issues compound one another, and it is important to recognize that, rather than leave people out of the conversations around professional discrimination. We, as black women, have come to the idea that, uh, that we have all this intersection mm-hmm. of race, gender, and that, that became an issue with me a lot and because they would, be, they would say things that would almost annihilate me because then I, could, I couldn't agree with that because I was both a woman and a, a black. And um, if you said things such as, uh, well, blacks seem to be getting better treatment than women, well, now I'm both. So you can't say things like that. And quite often you'd get little remarks that would just make me absent because I had both of those there. Mm -hmm. And by being the only one in in the group, it made me me feel hurt uh, in many instances that uh, those things would be said. For more information on professional discrimination at the University of Florida, please see the show notes to find additional resources and links to learn more. We hope the history shared here encourages you to keep fighting for truth, reconciliation, and justice in your own communities. Tune in next week when we discuss Black students' experiences with academic discrimination at UF. Until then, keep listening to the stories around you.